feet and turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter number four. Ephesians chapter four in your Bibles. I love Ephesians. It's such a very, very practical book as we relate to our faith. So many truths in the book of Ephesians and so many foundational truths for how we are to live our lives as believers. And we're going to be starting in verse number seven in chapter four of Ephesians. And I think I probably should turn there with you. Um, that'll probably be of help. And it reads, we're going to read down to probably verse 16. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He also descended is he who also descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he, Jesus himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, or shall we say mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. There's a mouthful there. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. According to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this moment of time. Will you please help us as we study? You are the one that provides revelation. But God, we don't want revelation for revelation's sake. We're not here to worship revelation. We're here to worship you and worship truth. Father, would that truth today be something that would transform our lives and make us more conformed to the image of your son. We, Father, are your treasure of the earth. We're the apple of your eye. We're your people that you've carved out for yourself. We're ready to eat this morning. Will you feed us from heaven? Will you feed us so that, Lord, you will get all of the glory you so deserve from our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated in the presence of our God. We're continuing our series, Contagious. And as we said last week, 
our Contagious series is going to focus on what it means to become a contagious church. So if you remember last week, I thought that with the help of the Holy Ghost, we laid down a really good, solid foundation of what real church growth is. And I want to caution you, if you didn't listen to last week's message, uh, you, you want to go up on our YouTube channel and take a look. Because I thought that we did a, a, a really good job of explaining what church is. And basically what it boils down to is that real church growth is not just about numbers. That the call of the church is to not just make followers, but to, to make disciples. We talked about discipleship is a distinct difference from folks who are just kind of following from afar with no real commitment to Christ. So we understand that as a church, the aim of the body of Christ is to reach new converts for Christ. This is the engine that drives the church. As we studied last week in the book of Acts, and we saw that the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved because they made it a top priority in everything that they did. At the core, we must understand that all that we do has its roots in this aim toward evangelism. And now I can't overstate that enough. It's all about evangelism. Everything that we do, Jesus left us here with that responsibility. We're his hands we're his feet here on the earth. So we're going to continue that today in that, in that particular vein. And today I want to talk about doing church as a team. Doing church as a team. When you ask the average Christian, and I'm not talking about uh, those of us who are more serious-minded believers... But when you ask the so-called average Christian or churchgoer, if you will, um, whose job is it to do evangelism, evangelism in the church? A lot of them, a great number of them would say that it is the pastor's job or responsibility to do evangelism. They're the ones who have the special training. They're the ones who went to school. They're the ones that, that know how to do all that. So, so primarily, it is their job. I want to say this, that that is one of the biggest misnomers or the biggest lie that the enemy has perpetuated in the life of the church. Because what, I want you to understand something, that ministry was designed to function with a team concept in mind. Now I'm going to show you here for a moment that this is not Pastor Gary's thing. This is a Bible thing. The idea that only a select few are to be burdened with evangelism is wrong. Doing church as a team is merely returning back to the way God designed the church to function. Some years ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to take a cruise. Anybody ever take a, taken a cruise? If you've never done a cruise, you need to do a cruise, as long, long as you don't have that water issue. But when I took a cruise, one of the things that was amazing to me is that they set the stage basically so that you have to do absolutely nothing. They don't want you to raise your finger to do. They want to do everything for you. And I remember being on that cruise 
that you had probably in our cruise, we, I think our cruise was around 1,500 people on, on board. It was a cruise liner, uh, about 1,500 people on board, and probably, I'm guessing, probably a staff of about maybe 70 or 80, if I would had to guess. And, and I just remember that every time I saw the staff people that were serving, uh, they were always running around like a, a, a chicken with their head cut off. And, and you see all these uh, folks that were sitting down and, you know, just kind of relaxing and getting suntans and people were dancing and having fun and drinking their pina colada and whatever else they were drinking. And, 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 and they were just there to just chill out and they wasn't doing anything. And, 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 and but, but whenever you saw the staff, man, they looked like they were just going at it. I mean, just just, you know, just running here and there because their job was to make sure that everybody on that ship was happy. Their job was to serve. And then the folks who were there, like myself, well, our attitude was I'm here to sit and chill. I'm here to do absolutely nothing I don't want to make my bed. I don't want to do nothing but relax. <laughs> it's a cruise liner. It's a consequently a battleship. Anybody ever been in the Navy here? Anybody know anything? So we had in, been in the Navy? Anybody been in the Navy? No? Well, you, everybody know the concept of a battleship. And, and on a battleship, it's a whole different story. You have a cruise liner, which is you got a few folk, right? You got a few folks on the cruise liner that's just working their butts off to try to make sure that the rest of everybody, the, the, the rest of all the other people are just there and relaxing, enjoying life, doing nothing, basically. But on a battleship, it's totally different. Because folks on a battleship, they understand that they're in a war, right? They're in a war. And so the folks on a battleship, everybody on the battleship, there, there's nobody on a battleship sitting down waiting to be served. Everybody on the battleship is busy. Everybody understands their assignment. They understand they're in a war and they get to work. Everybody, they, they covering each other's back. What do you need? Everywhere you look on a battleship, nobody is sitting around sucking on pina coladas. Everybody is working. Everybody understands their part. Everybody understands their role. The question God has for us today is what kind of church do we want to be? Do you want to be a cruise liner church where you just have a few that just do the work? Or do we want to be a battleship church where all of us are doing our part? I would say this, that God has designed us, the church, to be a battleship church. Now, I, I say all the time that, that, that you're in a war, that, that when you became a believer, because people don't tell you this stuff. You know, when preachers, sometimes we just do it. We just want to try to keep you happy sometimes because we know that you're so fragile. That, that so, so sometimes we spend, so, we spend so much time and we don't always give you what you really need. You, you know what I'm saying? But, but, but you're in a war. Christian, how many know that, that when you've been walking with the Lord for a little while, sometimes it's just plain hard. Salvation is free, but discipleship costs you everything, doesn't it? Discipleship is hard sometimes. It's hard to do what God has called us to do. But I want you to understand that when, it talk, when we talk about this, this idea of church and doing church as a team, God is not looking for a church of spectators, but he's looking for a church of participators. That's the way the church was designed from the beginning. 
we've always said this here in our church, and I think it is so true. And that anything that operates according to its design will function more efficiently. If consequently, if it's not operating according to its design, it won't. It will be lacking in some way. And so what we have come to see, see is that, and, and I'm trying hard by the help with the, of the Holy Spirit to break this mentality that we have. Because there are too many Christians, I'm not saying here, I think overall we got, a, we got a good group of serving believers here in our church. And I'm very grateful for the people. We have people here that serve in two or three different roles and they, 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 they understand what it means to sacrifice. And I thank God for you. But overall, as a whole, and I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about Christians beyond the four walls of our church. That too many Christians come and attend church with a consumer mentality. In other words, I want to come to church and I want, I want my children's ministry to be on point. Who's working the children's ministry? You better be in there and you better be doing a good job. I expect when I come here this morning that you better preach and make me happy, Pastor. I expect you to give me a good word. I don't want to hear, I don't care what you've been through. I, I expect you to give me a good word. And, and, and by the way, that music meant you better have me some good worship up in here. The worship better be slamming. I, when I come into it, I expect good. I, I, this is what I expect. I want you to make my life comfortable. This is the mentality of a lot of Christians. This is why Christians church hop all the time. Let me say this. There is, is, whatever church you end up at, and I'm, I'm talking in a broader sense, that how many know that you, the, the, one of the first questions you ought to ask yourself is, how can I be a blessing to that people? God, what is it that you want me to do to serve to make that body better in its efforts in reaching the loss? So we got to change the way we think. We, listen, every, we all want good service. Amen. We, we, and people expect that. But how many know that when you've been walking with God for a little while, you ought to know a little bit better. Amen. Come on, church. You ought to know a little bit better. Jesus said this. He says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. This is Luke chapter 10. Jesus said. And as I thought about that, Jesus doesn't really, he doesn't really go into a lot of detail of, of why he said it. But, but indulge me for a moment. Because I believe as it was then, so it is today. I don't believe that there was necessarily a lack of people. I believe there was just a lack of disciples that wanted to do the work of evangelism. The labor, he said, the harvest is plentiful. How many of you believe that today the harvest is just as plentiful as it was when Jesus was on the earth? Everybody would agree. The harvest is plentiful. Here, he said, here's the problem, but the laborers are few. In other words, there are, two, there are not enough people that want to get their hands dirty and doing the work of evangelism. Evangelism draws up a lot of uncomfortable feelings because in, within the context and the borders of your mind, you have uh, an idea of what evangelism is. You crafted that. We'll talk about that as we move along through this series. But it's the heartbeat of everything that we do. And it must be something that we understand that, and that in order for us to bring in the harvest, it's going to take all of us working together. And that, and listen, it's not going to take, it's not a, an idea that there's a few to do the work. The question becomes, what am I doing 
What, 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 am I, what am I doing to help the body? How many know that the church, the church, the church is what Jesus built? Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We said in recent weeks. And so the church is God's vehicle by which he wants to express his glory in the earth. And so let's look at for a moment. Let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verses 12 through 21. And here the Apostle Paul wants to explain the concept of how that the church is to work together. Nobody who's a Christian, we're not an island into ourselves. We're not meant to, to function by ourselves. We're not meant to have a, an isolated attitude. In fact, I would venture out to say that Christians who have an isolated attitude, they don't understand Bible. Because everything about the body teaches us to work together. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at this, in verse number in 12 to 21, it says this, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and all have been made to drink into one spirit, all one spirit, he's using a plural sense. The context here is, is, is plural. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. I want you to listen very carefully to this. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, hey, because I'm not, of the, I'm not an eye, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body, Paul asked? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members. Watch this. God has set the members. God has set the members. God has set the members. Each one of them, watch this, in the body just as he pleased. Watch and if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members. You see, Paul is making this argument against this isolationist spirit that sometimes creep into the life of the church and is and and rooted in selfishness. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now look what Paul is doing here. So Paul takes an, a, a very, very powerful analogy. He, he, he basically displays how that the body of Christ makes up the church, which are many members. Paul uses then the body to illustrate how the church ought to function, how it ought to think of itself. So as, as I'm part of the body of Christ, I understand that as a Christian, I'm tied to something bigger than myself. Watch this. Also, if I'm a part of the body of Christ, that also means that I'm accountable to somebody else. This is the function of the body. So, so Paul then is laying down the foundation for how the church ought to function. The church ought to function and see itself as many members. We represent one body. And every member has a role to play. Paul also says, for example, in verse 17, that we're all different. Some are hands, some are feet. And saw my eyes. And we're going to talk more about that next week. 
But God never made us all the same. How many know God never intended us to be? And every one of those parts, the hands, the feet, the eyes, they have a different function. Say, for example, and, and then Paul goes on to say, how do we need each other? He said that he talks about how that we can't say that we don't need each other, how the hand can't say to the to the feet. I have no need of you and, and all of that. What Paul is really trying to say is that, that in order for the boxing, the, the, the body of Christ to function at its optimum, everybody got to do their part. That's what he's that's the way he's essentially saying here. And so he says in verse 21, he shows in verse 20 and 21, he shows how that all the body parts. When they're functioning correctly, they are much more efficient. Now, let, let, me, let, me, let me give you an example. I could probably function with one hand. Right? Am I right about it? I mean, I could probably function with one eye. I could probably function with one leg. But how many know I'm better if I got two legs? You follow me? I'm, I'm, I'm better if I have two eyes. I can function with one hand, but I'm much more efficient when I have both hands. And I believe in a lot of ways, the church of God, the bodies of Christ, because we're their microcosms. Every local church is a microcosm of the church. It's a picture, if you will. But I believe that there's the many churches today that are limping with missing body, missing body parts because not everybody is doing their part. So you got people who come in who can contribute, who can help, but instead of asking the question, well, maybe God is calling me to do something about that. You, have you ever thought that perhaps the reason why something stare you up so much is perhaps God might just be calling you to step in? How many know that we're all a part of the body of Christ? I mean, and we want God's word to be preached everywhere. We want people to get saved. We want every church of Jesus Christ to succeed. If you're a Christian, you will want that. And so we got a church. The churches, many of them are limping because, because those that can come in and do their part are sitting on the sidelines waiting for somebody else to do it. Here's the problem that hurts in so many ways because understand something. Even with my hand, now that because I'm working on one hand, that puts a whole lot more pressure because I don't have two hands. I know it puts a whole lot more pressure on this one. So whatever I'm lacking, right, it puts a whole lot more weight where? On this one. So watch this. I'm going to have to work. This leg going to have to work what? Much, much harder. And then you come in and you want to know why somebody upset. Why you, why you got an attitude? Do your part. Help a brother. Help a sister out. Because we're all doing the work of ministry. Now, now let's, let's keep going. Y'all are still with me. Say amen. So Paul then makes the case that we're all a part of a team. That's what Paul is trying to say. That's why he uses the analogy of the body, which was absolute. Paul was a teacher. It was an amazing concept. Because all the Paul was deriving this concept, if you will, was from what Jesus said in John chapter 17. Jesus said, my prayer is that they be one. They, meaning all of us, function and be one. That we have to function together, we have to work together, and that we're going to have the kind of church that we want. It takes everybody to get in in the game and not just people sitting on the sideline being a critic. How many know we got enough of those? Yeah. 
How many know we got enough people sitting on the sideline complaining about stuff? You know, how many know we, we need people to get in the game? And if you have a gift that can help this body and it can help this church be better and you're sitting on it, shame on you. Shame on you. And you're going to have to give an account for God for that. All of us will. So let's go to Ephesians chapter number four. The work of ministry. Paul now is talking to the Ephesians church and he says this. And this is Ephesians 11. Uh, I don't want to read all of this, but Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 through 12. And I'm going to probably read through verse 11 through 14, actually. So I want to extrapolate this a little bit because this is so important. And he himself, talking about Jesus, gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Some think pastors and teachers are one and the same. I believe they're separate and distinct. I have my reasons for that, but I don't want to go into it right now. But we believe this to be the fivefold ministry. How many of you have ever heard of that? Fivefold ministry. So I want you to understand something. So Paul now is saying... Jesus gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, what is their jobs? Watch this. For the equipping of the saints, for the equipping of the saints, for the work. Everybody say work. Come on, everybody say, come on, everybody say work. Come on, say work. I, I didn't actually do nothing hard. I just said say work with it. That's your preaching for the day. All right. For the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, watch this, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every crazy wind of doctrine, I'll throw that in there, by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting. Doctrine is important, right? There's a lot of false doctrine going around. See, part of the ministry of the leaders is to equip the people to understand what the difference is. Now, if you are sitting here and you're a believer, you should have a desire to want to be equipped. You should, I want to be equipped. You should want to be equipped. See, so God gave these leaderships in the body, these leadership gifts within the body for the equipment of the saints. Watch this. Not for, now I'm just using that as an example. It's not the job, for an example, let's say the pastor, since that's an obvious one, I'm standing up here at the pastor of a church. My primary job as a pastor as one of these gifts is to equip you to do the work of ministry. It's not the job of those who are in these offices necessarily uh, to, to do the to do all the equipment, you know, some people in some circles they believe that it's the job the pastor all to do all the the teaching, all the equipping, all the service, do all the preaching. They're supposed to do it all. It's the job of the they're supposed. And how many know that is not how the body functions? He says, "Watch this." He says, "He says he has given these gifts for the equipping of the saints." My job primarily is to equip you. Now, if you don't position yourself to be equipped, you can't blame me, right? You can't blame a leader. How many know if we if we provide opportunities for you to be equipped? Some of you, some of some of us, let's be. Can we can we talk? I, I'm asking you a question. Can we talk? All right. Can we talk? Some of us we don't feel a need to have the kind of Bible class. So we either we think we know it all, or we don't feel the need to be equipped. Ah, I, I understand something. Here's what here's what I know. I've been saved for a long time, 
And let me tell you something. I'm always learning something. In my 26 years of walking with God, I'm always learning something that I thought I knew and I didn't. How many of you know I'm talking about? You've been saved for a while and, and, and God just show you stuff. He shows you revelation. See, when your heart is in the right place, when your heart is in the right place, God will move. God will speak to you. So watch this. So as, as a church, we then we have a responsibility. We need to be equipped. Why? Because I'm going to, I intend, everybody say intend. I intend on serving God. I intend on sharing my faith. I intend on witnessing that if I intend on doing that, then watch this. I need to be what? Equipped. Nobody would think to go on the football field. You think you're just going to walk on the football field for the Dallas Cowboys and you don't even understand the playbook. You haven't been equipped. You haven't been in shape and they're just going to throw you in the field. What will happen to you? Easy, you risking people. What's wrong with you? You understand? No, no, nobody, nobody would do that because he, so, so, so. Then the way this thing works is what it, it, that, that 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 these leadership gifts that God has given to the body is, is to equip the saints. It is not meant that the leaders do all the work. It just means that they equip the saints for what. For the work of ministry. Everybody say ministry. The ministry that all of us have is the ministry that Christ gave us. Am I right about it? See? So, so consequently, let me just say this. I want to throw this in there. So watch this. If you're part of a church, and I'm, I'm talking to a broader audience, so I understand that. So if you're part of a church and you're not being equipped, then you should probably find yourself in another church. Because that's the job of the leaders, right, is to equip the saints for ministry. Now, if you're not taking advantage of it, that's, that's, that's a different story. But, but how many know that a good church is equipping? I can't hear nobody talking. So watch this. So watch this. We're equipping. What, what, what is he equipping us for? Ministry. And watch this. Y'all ready for this one? Full-time ministry. Now, I'm going to make another earth-shattering statement. It really shouldn't be earth-shattering. It should be something that we all understand. But can I say this? That you are all in full-time ministry. You ain't no part. Are you a part-time Christian? Are you, I, I mean, are you only a Christian when you come to church on Sunday? Please, don't answer. No. Some folks like that. <laughs> Like, man, you go to church? Whoa, what's up with that? Whoa, I didn't know all that was in there. But none of us who are really safe, we're not part-time Christian. He said, look, he, he, the, the way the body works is we get equipped for the work of ministry. That means all of us are in ministry. Let me tell you something, and, and, and I want to I say this, and, and I mean this sincerely. When I got saved, I got saved in 1991, June 10th. It's 7 o'clock p.m. Date, time. That's when I got saved. And then very shortly after that, I, my occupation, uh, I, I became a police officer. God is my witness. I am not, I am not exaggerating not one iota, and I say this to you. From the day that I got saved, I've always looked at my job as a means for me and a platform to preach the gospel. 
In other words, I always looked at myself, and this was before I was any, I called in the ministry. Y'all know what y'all know. I always, I was first a minister before I was a police officer. See, you are, you gotta look at yourself as a minister first. This is why you just can't act any old kind of way on the job or when you get outside these environments because you are a minister first. And, and the people, and the person who's an unbeliever and you're a Christian, they look at you, if you're walking right, they're gonna look at you like you're an ordained minister because in a sense you are. You've been ordained, you've been called by God. And so, so, so how did God, so how does God reach people? Watch this. So how did God do it? So look at this. This is Acts 17, verses 26 and 27. This is a powerful verse. I love this verse. But look at this. And I'm going to get you guys out of here quicker today. So look, look at this. It says in Acts 17, 26 and 27. And he has made from one blood. Watch this. Every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. Isn't that wonderful? God has done it. And he has determined, watch this, their pre-appointed times, watch this, and the boundaries of their dwellings. Are y'all getting this? So that they should seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So how does God reach people? Understand this. This verse is powerful because what it says is, is that God has determined, he predetermined, first of all, our years, all right, our times on the earth. God has already pre-appointed that, watch this, and the boundaries of their dwellings. How many know that where you're living is not an accident? How many know God knows how to press through your wheel? How many know that, haven't we seen that with God, that, that even when people are not consciously Thinking about God, God still is going to perform his will. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Because that's what we call sovereignty. God's going to do what God wants to do. Even when we're stubborn, how many know God will still do what God wants to do? But I love this verse because it says that God has predetermined my boundary. So my address, for an example, is 304 Clippership Cove. But how many know God put me there? I didn't just arrive there by accident. Whatever your address is, God has predetermined your boundaries. Watch this. Now, why did he do it? Why did God put you there so that that they, who is they? They, not just you, but they and the people around you. Are you hearing this? So they should seek the Lord, watch this, and hope that they might grope for him, though he is not far from each one of us. So here's what God has done. God has put us for example, God has put this church here. It's no accident. And God has called you here to be a light to, the, to the, those out there who don't know Jesus. He put you in your community. He's placed you on your job. How many know God wants to, God needs all kinds of people to reach all kinds of people? Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? So this is what God has done. And, and, and so God hope is, is that by you being in your community, by you being on that job, by us being here, that somehow the people out there who are stumbling on life, or people who are lost, that somehow they're in there searching and trying to find life, and they're groping, that somehow they'll discover Jesus Christ through you. Through you. So when you see your neighbors and they don't know Jesus, 
you ought to be thinking of ways. Wait a minute. I have been put here with the hope that somehow that these folks, how many know God is working? God is working in men's heart all, even as you speak. I'm willing to bet that in your neighborhoods, on your job, that there's somebody that God is working in right now. And at some point, some point, the light will come on. At some point, they will grope and they will come to a place when they come to you and say, can you please, because you're walking in the light, can you please tell me about this Jesus you serve? I, I, I think I'm, I'm ready to hear something about that. So God has placed us where we are to minister. Everybody say, I'm in full-time ministry. Come on. Now say it like you really believe it. I'm in full-time ministry. Yeah, you are. So how does God reach, so how does God reach policemen, for an example? He takes full-time ministers and he disguises them as cops. <laughs> how does God reach teachers? He takes full-time ministers and he disguises them as teachers. Are y'all hearing that? Because we're ministers first. How does God reach construction workers? Well, he takes full-time ministers and disguises them as construction workers. How does God reach CEOs? He takes full-time ministers and disguises them as CEOs of company. I'll give you a better one. How does God reach presidents? He, he takes full-time ministers and he disguises them as vice presidents. Some of y'all didn't even get that. See, I believe the part of our, I'm just, this is just a belief. I, I believe that, that our vice president is a godly man. I believe he loves God. Everything I know about him, he's a, and I believe that that is the person that God wants to use to affect our president to bring righteousness in the nation. That's just what I believe. In other words, we are first, here's what I'm trying to get you to see. Before you are a doctor, before you are a policeman, before you are a nurse, before you are a business person, before you are a banker, before you are a teacher, you are first a minister. First. So then everything you do spins off of the fact that you've been called by God first. And your job is just a platform for you to use it to draw people to Christ. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? That's the same way the church is the function. It's the same way we got to look at it as a church. We are here as a light in the community so that, so that when, when people out there start groping and start looking and start, and, and because how many know we don't know what's going to happen from day to day? I think a lot of times I think about nine, everybody, everybody here who lived long enough, I think just about everybody in here, with maybe exception of a couple of people, that, that we all remember uh, you know, when uh, 9-11, September 11th, 19, what was it, 2001, when Twin Towers fell. And man, there was a, there was a, I remember, man, you know, churches were filling up, and I remember church all the attending, man, all these um, people were coming, because they didn't know. It was like, man, what's happening here? And, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you saw all these people who weren't going to church, suddenly they found themselves what? Groping. Where do I turn? Where, where do I turn? My hope, the hope and prayer is that they would turn to you, that they would turn to us, that they would turn to Foundation Church. That's why we're here. God has preordained our boundaries and set our times. Now, in conclusion, look at this. So when every joint, see, I mean, when we think of ourselves this way, it changes the entirety of the game. Your Christianity now is not just something that is as how many of you have heard this statement? And, and I know people say it all the time, but I don't believe it. Not one. Not, uh, well, my, my faith is private. 
Y'all know what that's code for, right? Keep it to yourself. Y'all know this. Y'all ever heard somebody say, your faith, would you, is just private. How many know that as, as a Christian, your faith is not meant to be private? Because how, listen, how are you going to be a light if you're private? <laughs> ah, last time I checked, brother, correct me, lights usually, they shine. I mean, I'm just saying, I'm not a, I'm not a scientist. <laughs> but I'm a venture to say that lights have a way of shining and inviting people and, say, and saying kind of stick. Hey, look, look at me. It's not your faith. It's not meant to be private. It's meant to be shared. And if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, every one of us got to think of ourselves as ministers. In conclusion, I like this verse it says here in Ephesians 4, 16. Look at this. It says, from whom, still reading, out of, still reading out of Ephesians chapter number four, from whom the whole body joined and knit together. Look at this, church. This is the powerful verse. By what every joint supplies. How the body comes together. The body is together. It comes together by that which every joint, every one of us got to supply. Well, so... Yo, Pastor, we, we need we, we need a uh, we need children's workers. Can you do it? Pastor, we we need musicians. Can you sing? Can you play? Pastor, we need more ushers. Can you usher? Pastor, we need why? Because our goal is to set this up. Yeah, yeah, I want y'all to understand this. This is a light in the community. This place in this, even though it's a school. God has disguised Monk here as a school. He disguised this place as a school, but really it's a church, the way I like to look at it. And this is, we're the second or third church that's been in here. You think God might be trying to do something. So God has, God has planted us here. That's what I'm trying to say. He's planted us here so that we can reach. And so the vibrancy of our church and the execution of our ministry and for us to be able to have an environment where those who are out there would come in. It takes workers. It takes people in position to minister. Because the people that you're sharing your faith with, the people that you're talking to, the people that you're going to invite and bring and to hear, they need to come into an environment where there will be nothing that will get in the way of them hearing the good news of the gospel. So we want the kids to be taken care of. We want them to be trained. We, 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 want, we want to do excellent ministry. Why? Because we want to make sure that the folks that are out there come around other believers in an environment that is healthy, that is growing, and that is contagious. What I'm trying to get you to see, church, is this all ties in together. All of this ties in together. The Bible says here that in Ephesians 4, 16, every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Every part does its share. And your question, and the question that all of us must ask, how can I help? What can I do to be a blessing? What is needed? If I can do it, I'll do it. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Watch this. But he says something that is at the end part of this verse that is so wonderful. He says, it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So the body is knitted together, right? Because there's life in the body. See, so when the body is knitted together because these life 
subjects, these, these contagious Christians, they're, they're, there's life coming from us. And we're knitted together because our life is intertwined in Christ. And if we're intertwined in Christ, then we're intertwined with one another. And we're supplying. And when we start supplying, growth starts happening. Growth started happening by that which every joint supplies. That's how the body grows. That's how the church grows. No church will really grow. I mean really grow because of the the personality or just all the works and gifts of one person or even two people for that matter. We're ministers of Jesus Christ. Our times and our boundaries have been set. It's up to us now to respond to the call. It's up to Foundation Church to respond to the call to stand up in the name of Jesus and be the life let the life and the light of God shine through all of us let's have an attitude as a church that we're not going to wait but we're going to we're, we're going to step out and we're going to go we said last week we had door knockers we still got more door knockers and we're spreading them out in the community I hope you've been spreading those door knockers but you know, every seed, every every door knocker is a seed. Walter, yesterday we had men's meeting, and uh, he made a statement. It just, it just kind of jumped in my spirit. And Walter said, after I said it, it resonated with him. And he said that you know it was raining this week, and he was wanting to get out some knockers, and he wanted to get it for rain. And I said, I kind of said, well, you know, the perfect time to plant seed is when it's raining, right? Stuff grows when it rains. Stuff grows when it rains. It ain't going to be all pretty. It ain't, listen, some of us wait for sunny. You're waiting for everything to be perfect. It's not going to be all perfect. You just got to go where you are now. Start now. Just go. Do what you can. The time is short. Jesus is on the way back. Let's stop sitting back looking at our hands and wanting to do church. Let's be the church, please. Not stop. Let's not... Let's enough with this one and a half church. Let's be the church. Let's be a contagious church. Starts with every individual to make a commitment. You know what? I'm going to pray for somebody. I'm going to invite somebody. I'm going to share my faith with somebody. And you're, you're being intentional about it. And watch this. Not for a period of time, but for the rest of your life. The rest of our lives. If I got 20 years, if I got five, if I got 30, if I got 40 years left, those years will be left with me trying to be that light, preaching, sharing the gospel with somebody in hopes that they will find Christ. Paul said to the church, he said, this is my joy and crown. He talked to the church. He was talking to the church. I forget what church it was. But he said to them, you are my joy and my crown. You are. Because I was a spiritual father. I birthed you into the kingdom. Church, I believe that it's addictive. And I believe that Paul was addicted to it because when you start being seeing people's lives get transformed, it's addictive. We got to do this thing. 
We got to do it in Jesus' name. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Father.